Welcome. You're listening to the Equine Photographers Podcast, the place to learn from top equine professionals around the world as they share their experience and knowledge on what it takes to be an accomplished equine photographer. Now your hosts, Peter DeMott and Gigi Embricks. Welcome to the Equine Photographers Podcast. I am Peter DeMott. And I'm Gigi Embricks. And today we're talking to Lynn Glazer. Hello, Lynn. Hi, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Lynn. Hey, Lynn, I've known you for a long time through EPNet and uh, online. And uh, I know that you do a lot with all kinds of photography and technology as well. But uh, one of the things we ask in uh, starting out is, where did uh, your photography and your horses come together? Tell us your story. Which came first, actually? The, horse the horses or the The horses came first. Okay. Well, tell us about that. The horses came first, and I didn't get my first horse until 31. I was teaching in a handicapped riding program. I'd done all the things that horse-crazy people do that don't have their own horses. Uh, and uh, in 31, I uh, was given a horse that was 23 years old who uh, lived till 33. And we had lots of adventures. He was quite a guy. And I got into endurance riding by riding my friend's horses up in Idaho. And mine were at the time, because after the first horse, I ended up with a second one that was a, a, a suckling three weeks later. Mm -hmm. So they were too old and too young to do endurance. And I got involved up in Idaho riding other people's horses. Fast so, forward to yeah. 2003, um, I started shooting endurance rides then. Okay. So the endurance rides and the turning pro happened at the same time? Well, I'd been doing endurance since the late 80s. I ended up shooting for Equus, and uh, and I shot an event that was featured in the LA Times. And those those two things kind of uh, dragged me backwards into pro photography. But I had already had the, the background of, of digital um, desktop support for art departments of entertainment companies as a freelancer. So I'd been using Photoshop since 1989 and been doing desktop support since 1986. Okay. And I'd been self-employed for uh, since 1980. Uh, well, 1989, I guess. I already had the business basics. How's that? That was on your technology side because you're a like a Mac guru, right? I was. I retired from that a couple of years ago after 27 years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, but so you retired from that, and you're doing all photography now, or what's the deal? No, no. 2011, as we're in the throes of the recession, I was offered an aerospace uh, uh, job, okay, supporting a high-end uh, F-18 engineering company, and that's been five years now. Okay, that's been technical writing and uh, and uh, general coordination, and with full benefits. Which for a somebody that's been self-employed for all those years, that's a a unique thing. But it's flex time and telecommuting, so I'm able to travel all over the country as I need or want to. Wow! To shoot, yeah. Okay. And I mostly work at night, my choice. So uh, it affords me great flexibility. To you mean you work with the company, the aerospace company, at nighttime? I choose to. Yeah. And then you play all day. Well, I I often do what I call split shifts, where I work a couple hours in the morning, and then then I play and yeah. ride my own endurance horse, or soon to be, I hope, endurance horse, and then uh, 
and then uh, go back to it. Uh, my most productive hours just happen to be at night. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a different Lucky schedule day. than me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it works out great for the company because if they get their engineering work done, I can actually deliver our jobs uh, at night and and still meet the the definition of today. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Now, I've seen you do a lot of different kinds of photography. Would you call yourself an editorial photographer, an event photographer? What are you? I would say that that I'm pretty um, evenly split between events and farm and ranch. Okay. So you do like uh, confirmation pictures and I saw you had cows and different things. Well, what's um, the farm and ranch mean? Farm and ranch are are people that engage me to shoot either their their I count the family photography in there too. Okay. I, I do a fair amount of family um, photography with critters. Of, of course, the the rest of it is for breeders and and uh, and people that that want personal shoots of their horses in all phases of uh, activity from from right. uh, under saddle to liberty. I used to do a lot of editorial work. I do less now. I shoot uh, for Arabian Horse World, uh, and uh, I used to sell a lot of stock, but that has, is not yeah. as much. So I do commercial work for Reactor Panel Saddle Company, um, Easy Care, and, and others. That, uh, But having this other job gives me the luxury to only work with the people I'd like to work with, which, right. let me tell you, is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I don't like your operation. <laughs> I'll help you find somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> cool. How did the photography business ramp up from taking pictures to being a pro? Tell us your kind of your story of how you became a pro. It was it was nearly instant because I had the skill set to take it professional right away. Um, it was m- mostly a matter of of getting to the proper gear. So I already had the business practices. I already had the the um, Photoshop expertise um, and operating system expertise to uh, to do that. And I was selling catalog covers uh, from fairly early on in the days when that was very lucrative. I'd get a thousand dollars a cover often. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, you did. You said it was almost instantaneous. But how did people find out that you were available? Oh, back when I used to actually market? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm saying, yeah. Ha, where, take us from scratch to, to where you are today. Well, with the endurance, I, I ended up pretty quickly going from zero events to um, about 10 or 12 a year. Okay. And I shot, I've been shooting the very well-known Tevis ride that long, which is the 100-mile point-to-point mm-hmm. that goes from near Lake Tahoe to to Auburn every year. And, and there's uh, like 20 photographers doing that usually? Not that many, but quite a few. Because it, since it's a 100-mile point-to-point, you can't cover it as a single person, though I do my best every year. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, there are many other photographers hawking their wares, and the majority of those have their pictures ready at the event. Um, and my model is keepsakes. So I have my proofs up fairly quickly, but uh, I I prep and and deliver um, finished images. Instead so it, of just it, quick it's a out of the camera stuff. Yeah. So I did uh, make images available at the events. Um, okay. 
uh, where I would go run off and go to a Kinko's and sit right. there and, and call and then take them to Costco or Walgreens and then pick them up and sell them at the event. And I stopped that in 2007. I used to do that as well. And it's just too exhausting. But yeah. at the same time, it was a lot more lucrative than just putting stuff up online. The uh, difference so. is that, that I can stay at the event all day shooting. I was also shooting all sorts of things. I shot shows. I shot uh, um, kids rodeo, um, but just a, a variety of events. And I pulled that down and I think I shot my last show in 2009. I also did second camera for, for uh, Christy Cumberworth and Amy McCool on jumping, eventing. Um, and that included travel to other states, which, which is second camera is good, but uh, I well, decided. Is it a lot less work or? It's a lot less work. You shoot it at, in raw and hand over the cards. Uh-huh. Well, raw and JPEG for, for uh, Amy, but yeah. Great. You hand it over and you walk away. Yeah, hopefully get paid. But now I don't, uh, yeah, exactly. But now I don't do that. I don't do any of that anymore. So what is your main thing now? The main thing is in endurance and, uh, like I said, the farm and ranch slash family photography. Mm-hmm. So the family photography is mostly with critters, but not always. I'm doing one the day after Christmas where the parents are flying in from Minnesota. Um, the son is flying in from the Bay Area and the daughter goes to school near Ventura. And uh, their house is full of my pictures uh, with horses, senior pictures, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and they wanted to shoot on the beach. So that's what we're doing. I also shot for Cavalia, the traveling horse spectacular for 10 years on and off. Um, their original show and their Odessio, which is in the Bay Area right now. So when you did those shoots, would would it just be while they were in California or not? No. No, they'd fly me out to wherever I, uh, they needed me. Um, and that was often due to cast changes. Huh. So Houston, um, the last one was Scottsdale. I, I'm done doing that now. It's really a young person's uh, work because of the amount of of work over a very short amount of time. It's mm-hmm. uh, kind of draining, exhilarating and draining at the same time. Exhausting. Because, uh, yeah. So you're shooting the performance, but you're also doing all the backstage stuff they need. Well, I remember seeing, you know, your samples of that stuff too over the years. Um, it was always very interesting. I always say to myself when I think I'm, I'm being challenged on a shoot by, say, absence of light, uh-huh. I say, is it harder than Cavalia? shooting a couple thousand shots in the dark um, uh, with, with as many as 32 horses on stage at the same time. Is it harder than that? No. Okay. Suck it up. Deal yeah. with it. Fine. You yeah. couldn't use flash in that, right, when you did that? No, Absolutely no. not. Yeah, yeah no. Absolutely it's not. a stage show. And I'm, I'm either sitting in the audience or I'm backstage, and, and yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Today's cameras would probably make it a little easier, but it's still a, a challenge. It is. It really is. I mean, imagine that the ending of the current uh, touring show where they're putting an 80,000-gallon lake on stage um, with uh, Arabians galloping through it. <laughs> how do they <laughs> And do then that? they drain it. So, yeah, I was going to say, how do they do that? 
So, uh, yeah, funny story is on Saturdays they have two, uh, sometimes they have two performances in a day. And we were figuring out that the, how I w- where I would shoot backstage for the night performance. So the night performance rolls around and where it should have been dry, it wasn't. And I was sitting on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I was wearing black travel pants, which dried very quickly, but it was really very funny. Yeah, I bet. What is it that you, I mean, like right now you're doing the ranch and farm and also endurance. What do you enjoy most? Or let's mix this up a little bit. I know you have a horse that you want to be doing endurance with. I know you ride some. Yeah, um, I'm getting getting back to, to competition on my own horse. I'm bringing along a young one. He's six uh, now. He's a Rush Creek uh, Arabian from the program in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to... Uh, ride him for the next 10 years at least so but when you're riding you can't be shooting much right exactly so i i see myself as near the end of of the endurance ride shooting um so you just stay with the farm stuff so yeah and what i would advise is that you ask me some some very specific questions about endurance ride shooting because i need the next generation to come along and shoot the rides that i'm going to be at there you go okay (laughs) I want good pictures, and my practice is to buy a picture, at least one picture from every ride that I ride in because they're my mementos. That's what I want. Right. And I, I want these photographers that take pictures of me to, um, to produce pictures where I can just glance at them and say, oh, that was this ride, this day of this ride in uh-huh. this year. Yeah. So That's uh, what I let's, to with let's my talk own. about that. So how, how do you create – an image on a ride that identifies the ride so that people can do what you just described. How do you well, do that? The hardest thing is if you've never been to a particular ride before, it is the most challenging. If you've been there as a rider mm-hmm. or if it's a ride that you've shot in past years, it's a little bit easier. Uh, it depends whether they're going to change the trail on you. It, it depends whether it's a multi-day ride. It depends on, of course, the kind of weather, and it depends on the ride manager's um, uh, perspective of what makes a good shot location. I managed rides for seven years myself, uh-huh. and when I look when I look back, I I wince a little at what I didn't know to help my photographer find uh, good spots. So I, I managed it fine for the, the first five years of rides, but the, the first year guidance I gave to my photographer, drive out to here, park, walk here, and then you should see an arch of uh, bamboo-like uh, foliage and the riders will emerge towards you. And that was good. That was actually the right light direction and so forth, but I underestimated the, the length of time it would probably take them to walk from where they could safely park. Um, and... Uh, so they didn't miss any shots, but I wish I'd been a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, specific. And then the next year's ride, that was, that was uh, or the next ride that I put on, they didn't have to slog through sand. But right. what I know makes a good shot now in terms of what makes a particular ride iconic, I could have done a better, better job on that. So do you look for, for uh, certain I look looks? For background. Yeah, I was going to say. I look for... Um, we have a lot of desert rides out here, so right. it's a bit it just more of a like challenge to, to, to show terrain. <laughs> so, I, I and some of my riders on this last ride uh, 
they commented uh, as they as they left, they turned around to look at what I saw. And then they'd ride off talking to each other about, I knew she had to see something there or she wouldn't have been there. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so that's, that's a feature. Either it's, it's Joshua trees in the background where I can fade it out in camera, but still have it, have it show that they're in, in the Joshua tree preserve or, or, or interesting rocks, but never featureless desert. Right. Right. So, you know, where I am, I'm in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana. Uh, the ride manager will say, oh, I have a great place. It's a creek crossing. And they'll take me into this deep, deep, <laughs> dark woods yes. where there's no light at 8 yep. o'clock in the morning. And yep. uh, say, this would be the perfect spot for you. <laughs> I say, okay, well, let me look around. <laughs> and that happened to me at Malibu in 2006. I mean, the things I've learned along the way. And the cameras weren't as good, of course, right. in the low light. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I oh, trial and error. Another one is dappled light in the forest. Right, Peter? Right. It's horrible. Once horrible. It's, once it's noon, you're, you're dead in the water. Well, I try for the early morning light. Any, right. Anyway, that and I don't always get to do it. Sometimes in the, if on the desert rides, it's because you can't drive there even in a Jeep, sand, because the sand's so deep. Wow. Mm-hmm. You, you have to miss the morning light um, just to because get to the you right just place. can't get there. Mm-hmm. So if you looked at my shots from Eastern Mojave last year, which was a first-time ride for shooting it, not riding it, but the regular photographer had, had medical issues and couldn't make it. Yeah, it's all midday light, but I figured out how to work it, how to backlight, um, and uh, and and make it interesting. Mm-hmm. For shoot locations, I'm always looking for more than one shot at a given location. Right? Can I get an approach shot? Can I get the shots in front of me? Can I get a departure shot? Can I get a scenic shot where they're just elements in the landscape? What can I work out of this particular location? So I, I like to arrive at a location uh, at least a half an hour before the riders show up so that I can hang a sign warning people that I'm ahead and then figure out how to work it. Groom the, the trail, pull rocks off, um, pull branches that are going to snatch my, my uh, focus away, mm-hmm. stuff like that. never shot events and i when you're doing these kind of events do you do you guys just plant yourself like you say you find your location and then you take every rider that comes through or do you move around so you just stay there all day and then as no you don't stay there all day so i i'm having to choose a location that has both distances so it's let's say that there's 25 and 50 mile riders so i have to make sure that i've uh, gotten from the ride manager enough detail to know that they're going to be on on the same trail and then they might diverge i might be shooting them like the last ride before uh last weekend's um coming from two different directions right yeah so um first day of 60 años in, in mid-november was like that um that i shot them before the light had reached um this this trail so that i would get everybody um, and that was at 12,800 ISO for most of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew I had, I knew exactly where to go after two years of, of struggling on this. Uh, it marked the exact uh, mileage to this point where there would be the most light and the most 
uh, background with some sycamores to help light the scene. And then I went to the my second choice, which was a two-way trail. 50s coming from one way, uh, 30s coming from the other. So, Gigi, yeah. what happens is there's usually uh, 10 or 15-mile loops where the riders, or it could be point-to-point where the riders go through uh, and then they have to stop at a vet check, and then they do another loop or another leg of the journey. Oh, I see, and that and, gives you a chance. And so you it. can catch them going through one place and then pack up and move to another spot where you think they'll be arriving soon. Uh, yeah, and sometimes the, I can get them in a third spot since yeah. I don't use the model of running off and having prints made like right. some of my friends do. Right. So, okay, let's let's go ahead and focus this on endurance. And yeah, I did this that for a, you. Yeah, <laughs> and, and this is about uh, the business of equine photography uh, is what this podcast is about. And we try to get into some of the profitabilities and pricing without being okay. too nosy. So if you don't feel comfortable, you know, just share what you want to. But Sure. Uh, the idea being, uh, how how many riders do you typically have in one of your rides that, that you photograph? And then how much money do you make from a ride uh, or per per buyer? And, and how okay. do you go about selling? And you, okay. I, I think you do it online now, right? I have been doing, I've been selling online since 2006. I've been using uh, SmugMug as my lab since 2004. Mm-hmm. I've processed um, well over a thousand orders that way. I think uh, my total images sold are 4,000 something. The average number of images by each purchaser is three. So if you figure that my my four by six price is Fifteen dollars, um, then that's forty-five dollars plus tax and shipping for the average order. Mm-hmm. My digitals come directly from me because my lab doesn't have proof delay on digitals, and since I specialize in keepsakes, I'm not letting an uncorrected proof go out under any circumstances. Except for the downloads or not? So the, no, that's what I'm saying. So my digital downloads uh, are not enabled at SmugMug. Okay, gotcha. They, they come directly from me. If someone purchases an 8x10 or larger, they get the small digital from me directly for free. Right. If somebody purchases something that's less than uh, 8x10 and they want the digital, it's a $10 add-on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So profitability, yeah, I take the time. Uh, um, on the images to to do these the stuff that everybody does uh, balance the light color correct um, I've cropped the proofs already but, but cropped them into the aspect ratio they're looking for and uh, and do my own photo finishing I mean I think I do really high quality work and on 8 by 10s and larger they get even more uh, attention scrutiny yeah yeah so uh now, how, how does a rider learn this process? Uh, how many riders would you say is a typical ride for you? It varies. It can be well over 100. It okay. can be this last weekend's ride was very small. In fact, I opted out of shooting it last year because it was uh, not profitable enough to go. 
But so how big? How big uh, was that one? So that one was uh, 50, in, in the fifties, and right. that's the very smallest ride I shoot. Okay. Uh, See now more, out here, more typically I'm, it's around a hundred, hundred or or more. Yeah, I, I usually am shooting forty to sixty wow. riders. So wow. it's it it's not real productive when it's forty riders for sure. No, that, now you uh, have the the same sort of model that my friend Steve Bradley uh, does. Steve and I are the, the the ride photographers for the XP series of rides, and Steve's wife does endurance. She just achieved right. five thousand miles on her. Morgan and so Steve is was basically going to come anyway, retired fireman, and he's been shooting the rides uh, almost as long as I have, and he prints in camp, uh, but also makes them available on Smugmug. Right. So he's going to be there anyway. Yeah, that's kind of the way I am, right? So yeah. if it's a small I don't, ride, I won't do a ride unless my wife's going to ride it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's a good good plan. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good plan. And so what I plan to do on some of these multi-days uh, that I still want to or might want to hold on to is I'll ride one day, shoot one day, and I'll let the riders know ahead of time what I'm going to do. The multi-days can be up to five days. So how do you capture all of these riders so that they will be notified when the proofs are available? Or, I mean, I guess... Do you have flyers that you hand out? Is it part of the ride management? Do they email them? What? In the old in the old days, that's a good question. In the old days, I used to print what I called event cards. Okay. And they were sitting at the check-in table, and people could take them, and they had the 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 gallery uh, link. Right. And in later years, I haven't been doing that, mostly due to um, the the presence on the event page web pages and of course facebook right so you can put it on the endurance net or endurance news uh facebook page is with a link or something yeah and 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 uh, yeah and i have a great amount of uh folks on my personal facebook page that are endurance riders right so people haven't had trouble finding them let's just just say that i haven't had to do a lot of marketing to to uh, to capture the riders. That, okay. Yeah, and for Tevis, on the other hand, Tevis is the the four hundred pound gorilla of my year, yeah. and I am competing with all those other photographers. And most of those photographers are making their money that same day, and they dust their hands and walk away. In my case, I'm shooting it for Arabian Horse World, where I have to keep up with the front runners, and then also uh, for all the riders and uh, and for the commercial interests as well. So I wear a lot of hats at that ride, and I have always made four by six postcards that I um, have uh, handed out. And in the last couple of years, I got smart, and they're in the ride packets. In the last few years. Right. So those are in the ride packets. So in the in the heat of battle, riders don't have to worry about it. But there it is in their packet afterwards. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. But I'm also the uh, I do most of the photography for the event itself for the Western States Trail uh, Foundation. So for they've the all Tavis, received, you mean? Yeah. So they've all re- all received a glossy magazine, eight and a half by eleven magazine that is uh, that generally has my photo on the cover and and full page images inside so 
Um, and I have an ad in there, full color ad that, that, uh, is part of my deal with them. And so they, uh, uh the amount of exposure I get between that and the, the running slideshow on the events website is all mine. Um, not much, uh, more right. marketing is, is really needed. Uh, uh, Gigi, are you familiar with the Tevis? No, no, I, no, not at all. Basically it's a, uh, endurance riders ride out in california i guess right that um yeah it goes from from near lake tahoe to uh, auburn and started i think in 1955 and it's uh an annual event it's got vet checks throughout where there are mandatory holds uh um and the horses are checked beforehand um at this camp near Truckee, california and they're checked afterwards, and if they're not fit to continue, they're pulled right there at the finish line. Oh, wow. And that yeah. happened to friends of mine this, this, this year. Were they lame or, or yeah. something yeah, else? Yeah, they but they could be metabolically compromised or lame mm-hmm. and not fit to go on. And they never test the rider as to whether they're fit or <laughs> right. they're, they're on drugs. Uh, but it's a, a low tolerance on the on the drug side. Um, it's it's a very very it's the strictest horse sport for drugs. Mm-hmm. So nothing that would promote uh, performance is is allowed. So it's a very clean sport, and it's a sport that has a lot of sportsmanship. If someone has something happen on trail um, and needs a piece here, the next rider that comes along that might have that will will uh, will help them out. It's it's not the cutthroat thing you see in the show ring. It's very, we find it out here that it's very family friendly. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something, it doesn't cost that much to be involved compared to showing, um, you know, because you just, and plus you're on the horse a lot longer than in a show situation. Yeah. It's all so, prep, get on, go around a couple times and get off. <laughs> right. Right. The people that are are drawn to this sport are are ones that that have a, a desire to go. I call it uh, uh, farther, faster. Uh huh. So you do you can do it at walk, trot, canter, and uh, you you love the idea of going to places that you might not otherwise be allowed to ride because it's private property or it's private properties that string together uh, like a string of pearls uh, with maybe some public uh, property in there. Um, so you feel very privileged. Uh, this ride that was in mid-November was on a giant uh, land-grant ranch, uh, Rancho San Fernando Rey, near uh, Santa Barbara, where nobody else gets to be there. Yeah, it's that's kind of nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as, an, as a photographer, I'm allowed to drive over that ranch looking for spots, but the other people's uh, crews and so forth are not allowed that sort of access. So it's also the ability to get stuck. Right. That's true. Uh, driving someplace that you shouldn't have. So uh, I have to advise that you check out your routes very carefully with the ride manager. Because um, uh, of all your sandy areas. Oh, well, no, not just that. Gosh, I went through water right. that obscured my, my headlights with my 4x2 truck at, at 5 a.m. Uh, on the first day of Sesenta Años. Well. I knew the bottom was good from past years, but it's still, I actually, I'm not Catholic, but I say a Hail Mary before every water crossing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't be safe so far. <laughs> so, 
you know, following you on Facebook, uh, I have seen forest fires come close to you. And uh, are you still living out there on the in the middle of nowhere? Um, it's the middle of nowhere in that it's very rural for Southern California. Right. Uh, but it is 17 minutes from a Trader Joe's market, which oh, is well, a benchmark for most of the people here in California. They know just what I mean when I say that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's not so. Yeah, too rural. Closest that's... neighbor is quarter mile, but but uh, I can't get out the last mile on dirt road when there's been a, a heavy downpour. But but uh, feels like it's remote. But well, it it looks remote. It looks barren too. When you know your paddock area and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Do you have to? How much is hay out there? How much is hay? Um, yeah, are you having a hard time getting hay? ish for for a hundred and fifteen pound bale. No, I wouldn't consider it hard, but our okay. bales are are big. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay. But yeah, desert desert sort of high desert horsekeeping is is a is, is a different deal. But in Southern California in general, the size of the pens. Like mine are in, in uh, one of them has a twenty four by forty eight and the other is a forty eight by forty eight, but and that's considered fairly good for Southern California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different horse keeping in all different areas changes so much, you know. Well, yeah, like we grass. Just, we don't yep. have grass. Water is so expensive that the grass is rare. Right. Yeah. We just talked to uh, Richard Horst, and he's in Montana and has a. Uh, Rocky Mountain ranch that he is he manages and I think what was it two or three hundred head of horses or more than that I don't remember but it was a lot uh, and of course he has 250 square miles of eight- well no fences for photography is fantastic right yeah. So in my farm and ranch photography, I'm always struggling to to uh, minimize fencing because it's usually ugly. Yeah, in Montana, um, it it takes a quite a f- few acres for grazing there too. You know, for cattle or horses because it's dry. Also, so mm-hmm. you need the right. ranches are huge be, because that sort of right. like Texas. You know, I've shot in Montana. I also shoot in New England at least once a year, except uh, what do you um, do there? Except for this year, um, I do various things. I have one breeder in particular that I I shoot for. Um, sometimes uh, some of my shoots out there are for fun, like when I go to the Cape Cod area, that's for fun. Mm-hmm. Hang out with Amy Riley, you know Amy, she's mm-hmm. a well-known pho- uh, horse photographer, and I shoot driving there. And uh, sometimes we go to the beach. I just arrange ahead of time with clients. Like I shot at a, a farm in Virginia on uh, my last trip. But how do you come across these people when you live in California? Well, uh, some of them come across me, and um, or like when they I come shot across you on Facebook Washington. or what? Um, a lot of times it's friends of friends, okay. and a lot of times it's through Facebook. Yeah, right. Facebook so, you know, is I really. Mentioned- my business. Can we talk about Facebook a second? Sure. Let's do so that. We, we argue with uh, um, people who say, oh, Facebook, it's about sharing what you put in your coffee this morning. No. For, for me, um, if you just counted 
fellow horse photographers, I I have my friends all in categories. So there's at least 400 of those. Wow. There's at least, I'd say 700 of my friends are distance riders. And of those, I probably know 400 of them face-to-face through my travels. Okay. And so my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, I never intended for it to become kind of a fan page. Right. But because of the interwoven uh, nature of, of uh, horses, it is. So my business page is not as active as my personal page. Right. I actually did the opposite. I, I started the personal page and then I thought, well, I'm going to separate because most of my friends aren't into horses, you know, personal friends. So I started the fan page and now my fan page is huge and my personal page is small. <laughs> so, yeah. It yeah just- well, I think from a business standpoint that that is really smart. Um, and for me, for a while, I veered away from controversial subjects on my personal page. Okay. And then, and then I stopped doing that because I said to myself, look, this is who I am. And for instance, the refugee crisis, I can't be quiet about that. So right. I, I am, uh, if they don't like it, they can leave. Yeah. They're right. on your personal page, you yeah. know. Um, so, it is. Yeah. yeah. So Facebook um, is, very, is, is very important to me. It's every bit as important as, as my website because I am too lazy to blog. I tried. I can't do it. But you're willing and to post more things on power to the people that can do that. So <laughs> my Facebook is full of slice of life things. I take uh, iPhone shots at endurance rides. I take uh, videos here of, of my crew, and people seem to really like keeping up with what I do that way. And I breathe a huge sigh of relief because I like Facebook updating the Facebook stuff. And you know what's, what I think is great about yeah. Facebook is um, they can come and see your stuff and then they can go and quickly see someone else's and they don't have to go to this website and that website and this website. It's just all right. It's a nice little package for everybody. It is. And I've found that, that people don't easily uh, like being driven, need to drive to other sites Endurance.net tried to set up a, a Facebook-like thing of all endurance riders called My.Endurance, I think. Uh, and it was years too late. Right. Because we like I, – I, I call Facebook the back fence place. It's like walking to the back fence and chatting over it with your neighbor for a minute and then walking back to you, you, your thing. I love that. Yeah, that is, it is nice. You can get on. You can check out things. You can comment things, and then you can get off and go on doing what your day is about. So, you know, there's a lot of Facebook people that, you know, negative, but it's, um, I don't know. I don't think there's a better platform for a business owner to communicate with their customers today. Well, I think that they do a really crappy job in terms of uh businesses now because they would like to they would like to monetize it but you don't have to use it like they're they want you to you you can do your own own thing and like i said with my personal page i feel like i've got more reach with that than than the business page because how they promote your business page is mostly based on if you pay yeah and it didn't used to be like that right 
It used to be if you had a like, then those people would get exposure to you. Yeah, but and now when they changed that, that's when I really dropped dropped using the the business side of my my uh, deal. So I have the Lynn Glazer imagery, and it has. I don't know, 500-ish likes. I I haven't pushed the likes. Right. But the personal page has, I don't know, 1,800 friends. I'm almost embarrassed to say that because it's it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we're we're starting to get into the the long hour here. Um, Yeah, I think so, too. So So we have um, to try to wrap wrap it up. Well, Lynn, where can they find you? They can find you at Lynn's site. Yeah, it's a little easier to just to say lynnglazer.com, L-Y-N-N-E-G-L-A-Z-E-R.com, and then that redirects to my my Smug Mug site. Okay. And then Lynn Glazer Imagery on Facebook. Is that your personal site? That's my business. Okay, Lynn Glazer. Lynn Glazer Imagery. Just make sure you have the E on the end of Lynn. Okay. And Sounds then, good. Around the the Tevis and and other uh, endurance ride pages and and uh, so thanks for for having me. Yeah, yeah well, you've been I'm, very I'm in, informative. For um, we've had a couple people want to know more about you know doing endurance for a business. So you've been quite informative, I think, for them. So we're done for today, and we hope that people, uh, you, our listeners, will subscribe to the podcast as well as log on to iTunes and leave a review or a comment. And uh, also we have our website at uh, www.equinephotographerspodcast.com and you're welcome to see all the other podcasts there as well as uh, people's comments and reactions to different things on the on the site. So thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen and have a great day. Thanks for joining us for the equine photographers podcast. We hope that you were inspired to grow and improve as an equine photographer by listening today. Join us for the next episode to learn, grow and be inspired as we interview some of today's outstanding equine image makers.